Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Collecting Issues, where this week we'll be taking a look at Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Gerrard, the 2017-2018 series from DC Comics Collecting Issues 1-12 to of the Eisner Award winning series. Yeah, so... Very good. We're back. Ben, just a little throwback there. When you said Tom King, do you mean my friend Tom King? Now, to be clear, Michael, for this and the rest of this particular episode of Collecting Issues, we are not referring to Tom King when you hear the words Tom King. Who... We're not referring to Tom King. No, we're referring to the lauded DC writer, Yes, Tom King. Not my friend Tom King. Not your friend Tom who King. Who has nothing to do with comic books. Nothing to do with them. And I feel like maybe if we'd slow down and take a look at this, you'd probably have realised that without me telling you. Right. But okay. still. Well, look, I think I've got it. You're a logical man. I think I've got it. I bet I you think don't. I've, I think I've figured it out. <laughs> I bet I think you don't. Probably smooth sailing from here on Yeah, in. I definitely won't be frustrated at the end of this. Good. Definitely not. So basically, we took a look at Mr. Miracle, Michael, this week. We did, Ben. A much lauded comic book. The very the very comic book in front of us says, Ben, oh, Eisner Award winning. No, where does it say? By far the best comic book on the stands, Entertainment Weekly. I don't trust Entertainment Weekly. It's a bunch of American people that uh, sell bylines for money. But I do trust Eisner Award winning comics for best writer and best artist. Isn't that voted on by comic professionals, comic retailers and librarians? Yeah, I kind of trust librarians. Librarians are good people. Hmm kinky not all of them apparently the sexy librarian trope has caused a lot of problems in the librarian industry really yeah totally off topic yeah. Ben. anyway tell us about mr miracle so i think one of the key things here is um jack kirby is the man responsible for all the characters that we're going to meet um throughout this 12 issue run each and every last one of them uh, almost all of them okay um, almost all of them he famously started up what's called the fourth world at dc comics and the fourth world was his kind of cosmic space odyssey um, involving the two worlds of New Genesis and Apocalypse. It's his retelling of the Bible in space. Very heavily influenced by Marvel's Asgard uh, comics. Run, which yeah. was also his mm-hmm. um, in majority more than minority. Um, you, you, we're going to see some interesting things in this one. Um, I suppose to begin with, we should probably take a look at an overview of what happens in this. It follows around the uh, aforementioned Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle is scot-free. Yes. Um, in the canon of the fourth world. What a pun. Uh, what a pun, because he got away. Scott, Scott Free, Free. yes, I, I get um, it now. And basically his superpower, for lack of a better term for what it is, his talent, his gift. I, I don't think they call them superpowers. That's not what they call them in the comic. His, his ability. His ability is that he can escape any trap. I can always escape is the mantra that we see many times throughout this comic. Um and traditionally, he's portrayed as, as very much what you would expect from someone who can always escape. He's very carefree and very easy in traditional uh, representations of him in media and things like that. Um, but throughout this, we actually get a much more personal look at Mr. Miracle and the man that he is. And, and maybe some things that he can't escape, Ben. And maybe some things that he can't escape, Michael. Like responsibilities. Like responsibilities and things he must do, also yeah. known as responsibilities. responsibilities yes. Yeah. Um, but it, we get a much more human look at, at new gods in this um, and it's really interesting we get to see him go up against many of the big villains that he would have had in his past and there's a nuance kind of given to the new gods world that was maybe lacking or maybe never explored prior to this um, so yeah it's a very interesting comic Michael that's my opinion um, it's a very interesting comic and it's important really before we begin to look at why Jack Kirby wrote the new gods Okay, go on. Jack Kirby had a military career Prior to his work in comic books, he was a field artist for the U.S. military. He was in the army. Yeah, he was in the army. He was an army man. Um, And he um, struggled quite a bit with 
the concept of that war and what it meant for people. Are people inherently good or inherently bad? Now, that's not my guessing of what he was doing. and um, That's all written about in his autobiography. Ben, speaking um, to your mic. That's all written about in his autobiography. Sorry, I'm a little bit away from the mic. And he kind of said that the World War Two, that the World War Two, was something that made him question the role of good and evil and whether or not you could look at things like that and the violence that men are capable of in times of war. He said it was a very interesting thing for him. And one of the key characters he used to explore that in the fourth world was Orion. Mm. Orion is the his his god of war. Right. His pantheon, his DC pantheon. And he really looked at that. Um, and many people, many, many people have said that Tom King, Tom King's new version. My friend Tom King. No, not your friend Tom King is very violent and a little bit away from what Jack Kirby would have wanted. Um, But he argues, Tom King, not your friend Tom King, argues that it's actually a logical progression of that investigation of violence and war. Because war in 2017, when this was published, was a very different creature to World War II. There was very few men in trenches. Very few men in trenches. um, And there was a lot more political uh, power playing going on. Um, according to Tom King. Now, bear in mind one thing that will color a lot of what we read in your your not your friend Tom King's Very good, run yeah. is that he is an ex CIA officer. Allegedly, allegedly. Um, I think it's very much been proven at this point. But has I, it though? Well, we don't know. I don't mm. think the I don't think the CIA go around going, yep, yeah, yep, definitely him, one yep. of ours. Yeah, um, I don't think they do that. But he would have seen one would guess. Um, a lot more of the political side of conflict in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that really shines through in this particular comic. What did you think of it, Michael? Ben, I think that every conflict is political, first of all. Okay, cool. Um, it's now the Michael and Benjamin's political era. Yeah, but anyway, let's get on with Let's bloody get on with it. Ben, look, I don't follow a DC comic quite as much as you do. I love them. And I am obviously quite aware of the main players. There were very few characters in this comic that I'd never heard of before. Yes. But there were a few of them who I've never read in a comic. They don't come up a lot. Some of them, I imagine, are a little bit obscure. But Ben, this comic appears to be set in a slightly parallel universe or alternate reality to main DC comics. Well, so this is the question. So we have a lot of things going on here. It certainly isn't the traditional fourth world run. Okay. Of things. Um, we center around Mr. Miracle and Big Scott Barda. Scott Free. Scott Free and Big Barda, his mm-hmm. wife, his kind of Amazonian proportioned um, gladiator wife from they suffer from They suffer from tall woman's short husband syndrome. Doesn't seem to bother them. No. In fact, they, they get up to some quite kinky antics based on mind. that exact yeah. thing. They don't mind them. Um, which, which, you know, Let piqued them, my curiosity. Yeah. Not going to lie. I bet you did. Not going to lie. Some questions came up. Some questions came up. Is there any taller women out there? <laughs> ben is five foot seven, so uh, that's if a lie. If anyone Don't again you make get, me shorter than I am. Don't you, we're almost the same height. No, we're not. You have centimeters on me, if if really. That's um, you wear lifts. We <laughs> we've sent her on there. We center on their life and we take a look at what they're doing. They're interesting because they choose to live on Earth. That's where they live. They live away from Apocalypse and New Genesis and the conflict that comes between those two worlds. And then obviously something goes wrong. Darkseid makes a huge power play mm-hmm. um, and war is brought about on New Genesis and Apocalypse. And basically Scott Free and Big Barda have to Go back. navigate this war um, from home and from there. But the interesting thing is that this comic book series opens with uh, a rather graphic image of of Scott Free having slit his wrists in the bathroom. So here's where we're going, Ben. This is what I need to know. Go on. To get any further in this. Is that something which happened only in this comic? 
Or did Scott Free slit his wrists in the mainstream DC Comics and then this kind of spun off from that? Or There is no answer for right. this. Tom King has decided to do this and has not your friend Tom King settle down <laughs> every time I do that Mick kind of pricks up like a dog whose owner has just come home from work and he's like ooh, 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 I can do a joke um, there have been no easy answers given this very much plays with the concept of an unreliable narrator it mm-hmm. very much plays with the concept of what is real is this just real life is this, this just is fantasy? fantasy yeah are we caught, in a, caught in a landslide yeah. he has no escape from reality or, or, does, he, or does he Ben does he? he might do um, so, Does this he? is the whole crux of this story, is that we don't actually know if this is really happening, mm-hmm. if he's in hell, yeah. if he's in heaven, if he's in heck, if he's in purgatory. Yeah. Um, it would seem to follow a rough approximation of a lot of Dante's work in the Inferno and oh. purgatory and things like that. This concept of questioning where you are and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What is um, real life? One of the things that makes it very much a Tom King book and marks it out as it, not your friend Tom King, settle down. Um, One of the things that really marks it out as a Tom King book is the fact that he focuses minutely on the human aspect of these characters. That's what he does, isn't Um, it? Yeah, that's kind of his whole shtick. One of the things... It's his whole raison d'etre. ...that gets him a little bit of criticism, or quite a lot of criticism, depending on who you are. From you, mostly. Um, From me, mostly, but I've had to go back and reinvestigate in light of this uh, series and a couple of interviews I read with Tom King. Probably what annoys me about Tom King is My that he humanizes not your friend Tom King <laughs> is he humanizes the characters that he deals with in a way that probably jars with how I have that character held up on a pedestal in my head. For example, go on. Uh, his major criticism from Batman fans is that Batman is is too weak mentally in in the comic books that he does. He's a real wimp. Uh, he's not necessarily. He's still a physically imposing man, mm-hmm. but he breaks down a lot. Um, he's a bit of a whinge and that's yeah and that's Tom King's thing he takes characters like that and he looks at the real world ramifications of what an event like that would do Heroes in Crisis was very much the same thing for him and probably I'm being a little bit unfair to Tom King when I kick off because I have an emotional link to those characters in my brain and when he challenges my concept of that character it annoys me do you want to fight him? I couldn't fight him he lives, in, he lives in Canada. I'm, yeah, he's in Canada. And but, you're five foot seven. And I'm five foot seven with lifts. <laughs> with lifts. Um, so he humanizes all these characters. And I think one of the things that distinguishes his fourth world from Jack Kirby's fourth world, and it's important to draw that distinction, is Jack Kirby always had a clear right and wrong right. in his fourth world comics. New here's Genesis the, here's were, the baddies, here's were the a great bunch of guys. Apocalypse was a, a parable for hell. Mm-hmm. That, that's how it worked. You knew who was good. You knew who was bad. In fact, Jack Kirby played around with the concept of being born good and bad. That was mm-hmm. the whole... Ben, you could almost say there was a kind of a nature versus nurture. Very much so. And we'll come to that a little bit later oh, in this Oh, will one. we? Okay. Um, but Tom King doesn't do that with his characters. I'd like to place a bet now, Ben, that you will forget to come back to that well, later. Well, put a pin in it. Put a pin. Look, put a little note here. That's what a pin sounds like yeah. in the tiny room. Like one. And I think... Um, Tom King is not content to play with that clear division of good and evil. For example, we meet characters that traditionally we have loathed, for for example, Granny Goodness. Granny Goodness, yeah. Um, and it leads us to question whether or not she's actually a terrible person. She, she is, se- though. She seems to have some kind of affection for Scott. Yeah, she's still Violet. a terrible person, though. Um, well, you see, this is the point. It, it, he plays with that subjective element of whether or not we can see a terrible person objectively for what they do, or whether our emotional history with that person can actually lead us to be confused about the world around 
and some of the traditional goodies are not as goody as they might have thought they might be goodies. So Light Ray has traditionally been portrayed as kind of a, a mischievous, arrogant trickster. In mm-hmm. this, he's a petty asshole. Yeah, he's real. Uh, very vindictive, very snivelling. He would be played by Rafe Spall if he was... I don't know who that is. He's an actor. He'd be played by him then. Look him up. Um, and then I think Orion is very much given a, a, a very unglamorous lighting situation where he's just a warmonger. He's just Darkseid. Yeah. He's really Darkseid's son. Yeah, he's just Darkseid's son throughout this. Um, and we get to look at the, the actions of, of fathers. For example, the High Father's action in making that treaty is questioned massively throughout. The High Father is a little bit more Odin in this yeah. than he is usually depicted. A lot more Odin in this. Um, and more importantly, Scott Free is not really a hero in this. It's one of the interesting things that we see. He never makes the big call. He never makes the right choice. He is very frequently seen to doubt based on what he wants, not on what other people's wants. Um, I think for a lot of people that are probably listening to this or who have any kind of knowledge of the new gods, you may have gotten that from Bruce Timm's time creating different new gods for Justice League Unlimited. Did he create new No, sorry, not creating. His version, the the Timverse version. Interpreting. Yeah, interpreting those characters. Um, And he kept them light and breezy. He really kept that golden age vibe to them. Scott and Barter are eternally happy. They have very easy lives together. Mm -hmm. Um, Light Ray is mischievous. They have a kinky sex. They have, no, they don't in the Timverse. They do in this. This, as, as I said, Tom King, not your friend Tom King. No, the, uh, the author Tom King. The author Tom King zones in on the difficulties of maintaining a relationship in, in this kind of environment where you're going off to war and murdering people and you have this horrific background being raised in Apocalypse. Um, and they have had a very difficult uh, nature versus nurture upbringing. They're good people on paper because mm-hmm. they're the heroes of New Genesis. But both have been raised in what can only be described as one of the most horrific possible ways ever. But Big Barda is from Apocalyptica. She's a fury from Apocalypse. Oh, yeah, but she has grown up good yeah. because love. Because love. Love saved the day. But even then, that's slightly retconned in this where the only thing she loves is Mr. Miracle. Mm. She doesn't love other people. She's yeah. not necessarily a kind person. She's still she's, friends with the, the bad Furies. She's, the Furies, the, the humorous elements that uh, the author Tom King brings in here. Very good. Um it's very interesting to see these weird jarring moments. It was a bit like a Wes Anderson film at times. There is a head touch um, of Wes Anderson yeah, about it. There's an odd moment here and there where, where that will come in. Where the baddies visit each other in their houses. Yeah, and stuff because like they've that. been bonded. And again, it brings us back to question this thing of can we separate terrible people from our lives if we have some kind of affection towards them? It's a big question. Mm. And we don't necessarily get a good answer. Um, but as we were saying, nature versus nurture plays a huge, huge role here. Um one of, one of the most harrowing scenes I think that I found was the mirror of goodness scene. Right. Um, so Granny Goodness had a tool that she used to kind of psychologically torture the people in her care. Granny yeah. Goodness is, I suppose what you'd call the training specialist of Apocalypse, where she yeah, takes people uh, in and turns them into monsters. Yeah, she's a bad egg. Yeah. And um, she always fixes her, her wards when they're damaged and ill. Obviously, technology in Apocalypse is... Essentially magic. Essentially magic. Um, and she can fix them. Mm-hmm. But this mirror reveals the compounded damage that they have taken. It's a little bit like a picture of Dorian Gray. A little bit, but yeah. But in a mirror form. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a terrible scene that was very uncomfortable for me and quite quite touching, where Scott and Barter are forced to look at themselves in they the mirror. They choose to look at themselves. They don't choose they? to look at themselves, 
But again, this brings us back to nature versus nurture. Are they psychologically damaging themselves because they've been brought up to do that? Mm -hmm. Can you break that cycle of an abusive parent? Can you kind of escape Mm -hmm. um, what you were or what you were made to be? And it doesn't seem like they can for a long part of this book. Well, Barda is very quick to violence. Uh, Barda is extremely quick to she violence. She'll smash someone's head in with a stick. Um, no problem look to at keep them. her husband. Mm. Um, objectively, who we would have looked at as the, the good guy in the past. Mm. Um, and she goes against her husband's wishes to do that. He accepts his execution order, um, agrees to stay away, and she refuses to allow that. And whew, unleashes some serious violence. She does um, uh, smash someone's head in with a stick. Which brings us on to Mitch uh, Garrett's art. I, I think Mitch Garrett's might be my favourite comic book artist working currently. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, it's a classic nine-panel layout, Ben, with the occasional splash. Well, it's a classic post-80s nine-panel layout. Um, and the reason for that is um, they wanted to play with time very much in this. And the best way to play with time in a comic book in terms of sequential uh, work is the nine-panel layout. You can slow it up or speed it up depending on what you want to do mm. with it. And because Tom King and My Mitch Garrett's... Not your friend, Tom King. Right. And Mitch Garrett's are so focused on the human elements, the nine-panel layout lets Tom King... There's a lot of standing still in a moment. That, yeah. that panel there that you're taking a look at um, where Barda and Scott have sex... We, we focus on one Not panel with slight, with, no, with slight movements, but it is a realistic representation, perhaps, of certain people's sex lives. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't um, know. How would I know? But there's a lot of pausing on one character's face for nine panels, and that lets the reader slow down as they move through it. And then other times, like this fantastic sequence in the middle where they break into New Genesis, mm-hmm. um, it moves beautifully because it's all linear and moves along the panels in a beautifully smooth way. Why they argue about how they're going to do the living room. Why they argue about how they're going to do the living room. And it's fascinating. It's a masterclass in different colours and settings and things like that. Um, Mitch Garretts has done a wonderful job of taking all those garish cur- colours that really um, define, kind of define the Kirby area. And he balances them beautifully. Like he keeps all those original costumes. They don't look silly on these characters. He plays a lot more with proportion and body type. And... His rendition of Apocalypse is the most horrifying thing, the most horrifying way I have ever seen it portrayed. It does seem like this bleak, empty world um, where you could never possibly find hope. It's a fascinating thing um, to see. It's a fascinating thing to see. In some conversations between himself and Tom King, Tom King was reminded of Iraq when the oil wells would burn. At different points, he said, he said he found that imagery imagery quite stri- uh, striking, and you can see it uh, throughout this this comic. It's a fascinating look at Jack Kirby's fourth world, kind of updated into a, a modern era. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't know how you felt about it, Michael. I don't know how I felt about it, Ben. I don't know if it was my favorite comic ever. It's not my think... favorite comic ever, but it is some of my favorite art ever. Oh, yeah, the art was very good. Um, the art was very good, actually. All, all joking aside, um, I felt that it was. Something I'm noticing about the author, Tom King, as opposed to my friend, Tom King, who doesn't write comic books, he just does jujitsu, is that he, I think, struggles with the nature of comic books, the the ongoing nature of comic books, the constraints that writing within a universe put on a writer. I don't think he handles them very well. He doesn't, and he, he admits that. He's been questioned on that several times, and he's been asked, are you rallying against what comic books are? And he has said in no uncertain terms, yes, I, I'm uncomfortable with them. I don't know how to do them. And uh, so I just 
fuck about. Because Ben, I was reading this, yes. and as I said, I'm not a huge follower of the fourth world characters or even the mainline DC comics. But then when Granny Goodness got clubbed in the head, Ooh. I went, oh, goodness. She's a character I've heard of. She's and a she's big character. she's been violently killed. No questions asked. Then, a bit later, we find that Orion has been killed. And I was thinking, oh, my, well, hold on a moment. Has Orion been killed? Is Orion this dead is the now? big one. Because Orion is the, the kind of, he's the Thor of the fourth world. Yeah. He's the, the Mac Daddy. He's the main character. Yeah. The All-Father is killed. Uh, oh, the High Father. The High Father, the high is, father killed. is killed. Full Off spoilers. panel, I think. Yeah, D- full spoilers, obviously. Darkseid is killed. Darkseid is killed arguably too easily, but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. But all of these dramatic things that happen, it's very easy to write a dramatic comic by killing off character popular, long standing characters. Well, I think. Go on, sorry. With no consequence. So that is Tom King's major criticism and he got exactly the same for Heroes in Crisis where he murdered a bunch of characters and then brought them back at the end. Oh, did he? Uh, Yeah, so the way Heroes in Crisis works out is that many of the characters that were killed have somehow or another come back. Okay. Poison Ivy was dead, but she actually regrew from a plant that she gave to Harley. Okay. Because she can do that now. Why wouldn't she be able to? Um, It's a fictional universe. But that's what I mean. He doesn't like consequence. He doesn't like writing himself into a corner so he simply writes without corners well yeah well that's writing without corners is a good way to put it I think um, yeah. Robert Kirkman it reminds me a lot of Robert Kirkman in a lot of ways Robert Kirkman likes a big monumental thing to happen sorry I'm accidentally playing footsie with you there Robert Kirkman <laughs> likes a big monumental thing to happen and then struggles in mainstream comics when he can't do that because he's not allowed to yeah. use so what he usually does is has some apocalyptic villain come at the end and undo everything Whereas this was like, that's it. I have a great story I want to do about the fourth world, the end of the fourth world, essentially. This is yeah, this is a, the it's, it's apocalypse for apocalypse. It's the kingdom come of of fourth world characters. It's this is the end of the fourth world story, mm-hmm. and he's gone. I want to do the end of the fourth world story. I don't care if it's in continuity or not. Maybe he's mental. Maybe he's dead. Maybe none of this is really happening. It's grand. Don't worry about it. Listen. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I don't mean, worry about it. it. It's hard to fans have loved it. Like it has been massively popular. I'm not certain, and I did enjoy this comic immensely. But I'm not certain that it's all that well structured or constructed. It's it's messy. It's a messy comic. Go on from start to finish. In that I'm not sure Tom King knows how to write an ending. My friend Tom King. No, not your friend Tom King. Um, I'm not sure he knows how to write himself to a satisfying conclusion. I don't think he has that. I thought this was quite a good ending. Um, Well, I'm not a fan of... You know I'm not a fan of build-up and and no payoff. Um, I think over time he repeats himself a lot through each issue. Sometimes that's intentional. Yeah. Um, other times it's not. He's Where just are you going? Give me an example. Tracking a lot of ground. So there's there's two ways. Well, let's look at a positive way that he does it in the first place. Um, dark side is is used mm-hmm. as a, a panel technique. Yeah, um, that's good. They remove any imagery. They just use a, a simple type font on black versus thing, and it says dark side is. It functions pretty on, much on black versus thing. Uh, sorry, it's uh, white font on black. Uh, coloring on okay. a black panel right. uh, and that's all it is and it's used as a memento mori basically anytime Scott becomes too hopeful or anytime he 
is kind of reaching a, an upward point in his mm-hmm. life. Um, this will flash and the thing and both Mitch uh, on the this will flash in the nine panel sequence as one of the panels in the nine panel sequence All sorry right. I forgot that I'm speaking and I have to be very clear on how that works um, it flashes up as one of the panels in a nine panel sequence um, and it functions I think as a memento mori basically it is a reminder that death is inevitable and dark side in this universe embodies that concept mm-hmm. of death it's one of the best efforts I've ever seen to instill a kind of dread about a a coming villain he's almost featured not at all Mm -hmm. and that was one of my favourite things of the many criticisms that could be levelled against Darkseid as a villain big grey big spooky grey man big spooky grey man yeah bit of a chin also talks far too much Mm-hmm. He's he's well known for the long soliloquies about how oh Kryptonian you are so flawed, um, and he goes off on he goes off in a rant. Eye lasers. Rant. He's basically the lad down the pub who had a tough day and won't shut the fuck up about it all of the time. And that's the thing that happens here. He becomes far more just an ominous force that seems to operate in the shadows. We don't see him until issue. I don't know ten. I didn't really keep track of the issue issues. ten of the twelve, mm. which is. A lump of issues for a fourth world comic. Well, that's not how, you, that's dark how you build a dread. And it works really well. So it operates as a moment of pause. Mitch Garretts and Tom King, not your friend Tom King, yeah. um, both said that they wanted to take certain moments in the comic, especially after violence or in a moment of peace, where that snap in the nine panel grid where you insert the dark side is panel mm-hmm. is actually a jarring moment where you have to pause and reflect on what you've just read. It causes a, a literal stop in your skimming when you read because it breaks up the visual narrative and it was important for them when you stop and kind of really take stock of what that is and it's a very mysterious phrase it's very ambiguous and that's the whole point it it Mm. makes you kind of go what is dark side is dark side is coming i i got the hardcover version of it and the the dust cover is excellent because it has that embossed inside the the black on the the cover it's just dark side is dark side is dark side is dark side is mr Moneybags over here with his hardcover you get out of here you sort yourself out um i got the cheap one of course you did look at you uh you didn't like that did you that hurt didn't it yeah that wasn't fun at all see what you made me do bloody five foot seven With lifts. With lifts. With lifts. Ben, um, go on. Sorry, to, to give you an example of repetition that I didn't enjoy. Yes, that's where um, we were going. To give you an example of repetition I didn't enjoy. Funky Flashman was repetition that I felt was too verbose and he not was, very uh, useful. He was Stan Lee, wasn't he? I don't know how he was treated. He's definitely Stan Lee. He's There's no cri- doubt about he's it. He's a criticism of Stan Lee. He was always a criticism of Stan Lee. That's why he functioned. And that's the way he functioned when he was created. I didn't understand the level of venom leveled at him through this character and he seemed to have a redemption arc running to some point through so again I think this is Tom King wrestling with the concept of can we like somebody even though they've been objectively a terrible person at certain points and he died while this was being made Uh, yeah and I don't know it was a weird thing I didn't understand that character and I felt he was shoved in at times when it just wasn't necessary Mm. I felt like he was a real filler noise I understood when Oberon Scott's former mentor kind of manifested as a a symptom of his depression or madness or whatever or or did he or did he I mean these are the questions that we're going to have throughout and I I got that Flashman was bludgeoned by Barda but then he came back but then he came back no problem he was fine maybe he wasn't real Maybe he wasn't like it's hard to tell. 
Mm. It's it's that's what I mean. There's a lot of questions there. That was repetition. I felt didn't suit. Anyway, Michael, sorry, you go on and tell me a bit about what you thought. What did I think? I don't even remember what I thought. To be okay, honest cool. <laughs> right, but then I'll move back and forward to, on to the next things. Some of the some of the interesting themes that we deal with here, and I think probably the one that a lot of people would have connected with, um, much to the joy of King and Garrett's, mm-hmm. is the depression arc that runs strongly throughout this. He's depressed. Um, not only depressed, but suffering from a, a, a large amount of PTSD. Yeah. Um, suicidal tendencies. Uh, suicidal tendencies. Um, and I suppose when you logically look at a character who consistently put themselves in death traps for mm-hmm. people's entertainment... Yeah, that was that. That seed was sown a while back. Um, it looks at first of all Scott Free's depression in a, a very grim way. Um, he grows that beard out of depression, I think, more than anything else. Do you want to tell me something? Um, ben? Yeah, I'm trying to tell you that uh, basically. Yeah, <laughs> but he grows that beard, and it, it kind of shows you. I've never seen Scott Free looking this schlubby. Mm. Um, he doesn't normally have a beard. He doesn't normally go around in t-shirts. He sorts himself out at the end. Though. He sorts himself out at the end. And it's interesting. There's a, a big conversation about showers mm-hmm. uh, throughout the Mr. Miracle miniseries where he's constantly going into a shower trying to figure out how to turn them on if he's on New Genesis, for example, because yeah. they have magic showers. Yeah, am I clean? Am I clean? There's a lot of this concept of cleaning yourself off. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of criticism, I think, of the... I suppose what's a very popular way of dealing with depression in the modern era is like, you'll be fine. Go you'll for be a fine. walk. Go sort it out. Go step outside, you know, just get, get up. In, get into nature. Put on your clothes, you know. You just go about your regular day. And that's that's Have parodied. a child. That's parodied. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole different issue. Um, that's parodied quite heavily by the stand standing mantra that is done by various new gods who mm-hmm. were born on Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, so whenever Scott is feeling particularly depressed... Barter will challenge him with the phrase stand. Yeah, and then he has to stand. And he has to get up and stand straight and then he responds standing. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with Orion. Orion has the same concept. You know what you must do. Stand, standing. Punches him in the head. And then he smacks him about every time and he has to keep getting up and he has to keep doing. It is, I think, to me, a critique of that not very helpful advice of look, it's just a phase. Stand up and brush yourself just off. Just a thing. Take a quick shower. You know, it feels better to be in the shower. And I do think it's a big criticism of that. Um, there are the sins of the past that Scott and Barda away with. There's a lot of murder in this comic. A lot of killing. They kill a lot of people. They kill a lot, of, kill a lot of people, fairly innocent people. Yeah, and then they kill a lot of new gods that they mm, know. Like, yeah. it's no problem. Yeah. A lot of guards die. A lot of guards do die. A and a lot of kind die. of minor named new gods die. And no one seems too upset. There's a head on a spike. Yeah, of someone um, you know. And again, this is bringing us back to the question, is Scott a good person or is he just a product of apocalypse? Is mm. he desensitized to violence because of his upbringing or is he desensitized to his violence because he never really cared? It's it's hard for us to tell. Um, as I was saying earlier, um, that saying? showering concept is there to kind of say, he can't shake this off. This is something that Scott's been dealing with. Barda doesn't seem to feel it at all in mm-hmm. the same way that she does. And King and Garrett's really emphasize that on the scenes where he's curled up in a ball next to Barda because he's trying to just cope with everything. And, and he's she's teeny, on her phone. And he's teeny tiny. Yeah, and she's on her phone she's a lot of the huge. time. Or talking about remodeling the house. Yeah. or And they do deal with this level of desensitization and, and how they deal with this kind of thing. And then really what it is, is it's looking at repression and how depression is often ignored in favor of just push through it. Push through it, Scotty. And it's not working for Scott at all. Or is it though? Well, you see, that's the thing you couldn't tell from the outside. Because is it real? 
because he always masters he's still a master of what he does mm. so you don't actually see him physically failing um, he's still a great fighter and a wonderful general and he kind of gets war and understands how to do all these things beats Darkseid a bit too easily yeah well I mean that's the whole thing and then it turns out that Meta- Metatron or Metron Metron sorry it's Metron in the New Gods world um, Metron reveals himself to be the orchestrator of some kind of thing and at the end of issue 11 he's given the option to return to, to the, the DC continuity universe, yeah. and he chooses not to yeah um, and this, I think, was the thing that made many people laud the series more than anything else. Again, Scott Free makes the choice that will make him happiest. Mm. And then his own guilt, if it is his guilt or madness or whatever, tries to goad him into going back where they're like, this is hell. You're in hell. Like you keep suffering these things. Can you do that? And he's like, I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to go back. Mm. And he chooses not to go back. So and it causes a further breakdown. World. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that as a mini standalone series. He chooses the happy ending as opposed to fights the, for one. The real ending. The, the real ending is he possibly died on his bathroom floor when he committed suicide. Possibly. I mean, that's that's what we're looking at. You know, that's that's the concept that we have to deal with. That last panel there at the end of the series mm-hmm. says Mr. Miracle will not return. Yeah. Uh, will not be continued. Will not be continued, sorry. Will not be continued. And that's interesting. That's um, a fascinating element to look at. Um, so I think existentially speaking, probably one of the strongest comics I've read in a while, um, in terms of representation of mental health and personality deficiencies and the question of whether you can be a good person objectively, fascinating comic. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Is it a bit long? For Arguably. Me? For me, yes. But... Um, I think the relationship between Barda and Scott is probably one of the more realistic comic book relationships I've ever seen. Who would play him in a in a, a, a mini series serialization of this? Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer is a good shout. I would have gone with Jake Johnson. Uh, yeah, could take both of those. Who'd play Barda? A tall woman. No. Probably CG. You'd have to CG her tall, yeah, or very big. use the bloody perspective trickery of the Hobbit. Cal Gadot would have been, or Cal Gadot would have been a great call if she Gal, hadn't already I been. A, is, is Gal Gadot, sorry, Gal Gadot would have been a great call. Well, Barda is Wonder Woman esque, so anyone who was never cast as Wonder Woman but nearly was would be I'm fine. Trying to think, who who would be a good Barda? Uh, we'll get back to it. If you have any suggestions, let us know down below. Um, in Jamie, terms of Jamie Alexander, I don't know who that is. Sif. Oh, she'd be solid call. Great call. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, in terms of throwaway symbolism and themes that we saw throughout, I think there's a really nice homage played to Silver Age heroes mm-hmm. throughout. He wears different superhero t-shirts while he's on Earth. The Batman. And Superman. it's all their classic symbols from the a Silver Flash, Age. A uh, Nightwing makes an appearance. Adam Strange a Greg makes an appearance on his... Aquaman. Um, Aquaman makes an appearance. And there are posters referencing his career as a... A uh, stuntman and a, an escape artist, and he does that quite a bit. Um, and they often reference what's happening in the scene. I don't mm-hmm. know if you noticed that about those pictures. For example, if I can just show you one there, um, there's a great scene right at the end of the comic where Darkseid is sitting on the couch, having some dip, having some dip because he likes a dip. Apparently, mm-hmm. never underestimate a good veggie dip. Yeah, a hummus. And it's a classic uh, Mr. Miracle cover. And it says, oh, no, it's him, not him. Oh, there's he's sitting right there and they're looking at him. So it's mm. a really interesting thing. It, there is clearly a lot of love put into um, a lot of love put into 
the golden age way of thinking that went into this comic and it's referenced quite a bit also rather interestingly jacob their son um is obviously a parallel for jack kirby in some form because they have that weird scene between um funky flashman and him where funky flashman draws them all and funky flashman says i just do words that's what i do Um, because that's stan Stan lee's famous role um but at the end of that jacob sees dark side on the couch Mm. he can see him so again it leads us back to that wonderful question of what is going on what's going on in this world why can jacob see a big glitchy holographic dark side my ultimate problem then with i think was at no point was i strongly engaged enough where what is going on mattered to me yeah, you're not invested much. You know what I mean? Because it's the alternate universe reality wrap up in one. Like, all yeah, right. All right. Is he alive? Is he there? To be honest, I don't really. Cities in a bottle don't work. Like, I'm not too bothered. Stories in a bottle, self contained. But I love a bloody self contained miniseries, Ben. A self contained miniseries is not the same as an alternate universe based on established That's characters. what I'm saying. Yeah. A self contained miniseries, a, start, a Watchmen. Great. Great. But this, it, because of its semi tangential relationship with mainstream comics it left me a bit dry a bit wanting yeah it didn't really but it was classic tom king classic tom king look ben if we like this what else would we like good question mick thanks for asking vision by tom king yeah who who could forget vision by tom vision by tom king which is about a red green and gold caped character settling down in the suburbs Oh God! <laughs> Tom King can only write one story. Um, um, but I mean, that has some similar aspects of a absolutely. someone involved in heroics setting up a family away from it and the problems that that brings. But that is set in the mainstream Marvel universe, but also kind of isn't. Kind of isn't, yeah, because Tom King apparently can do what he likes. Yeah, it is obviously, and some of the characters from that entered mainstream Marvel continuity. Well, that's good. His daughter Viv. Oh, she in in mainstream now? She is, yeah. Uh, But the similar problem of what are the stakes here if this isn't isn't real? Yeah. I'm doing a little winky Winky face when I say real. But, you know, it's it's not the first comic series to kind of deal with the character dealing with massive cosmic problems at the same time as worrying about remodeling their bathroom. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's a classic Spider-Man. It's a bit of a joke, trope. isn't it? Yeah, classic yeah. joke. I think other comics that people could probably look at are uh, God Country by Donny Cates for Image Comics. Go on. Uh, he kind of created his own Fourth World parody, I guess, if you want. That's interesting. You're taking um, a different tack to me, like an Asgard parody. I'm looking more at if you enjoyed the what what this what what this stands out in my mind. Can you is, smell toast? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Can sharks smell toast? <laughs> is that what it is? Um, th- what's the, this stands out in my mind is, as is, a f- story about domestic life and depression and well, nine to five normal normalcy. In that case, I, I think that God Country under that criteria still matches because it's about a dysfunctional relationship between a father and a son and how that's affecting his family in everyday life. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not necessarily arguing with you, but I'm saying that you're inter- it's interesting that you've gone more for if you like this you will like other things which are kind of fourth worldy. Yeah. Whereas I was thinking more about if you like this you'll like other things about superheroes in yeah, normal okay. domestic settings. Fair enough. So yeah. that's where that's where I was thinking of Vision. That's where I was thinking of Invincible. 
Invincible would be good for that. Uh, it does a great job of that. Because that's what Invincible yeah. is. It's about a guy trying to have a normal family life. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time as dealing with intergalactic, intergalactic crises. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man again. If you want a mm. superhero who's worried about how is he going to pay his bills. Weird. Or why does he have lady problems or... I mean, they don't handle depression as realistically or as scarily, but they are there as undercurrents. I think there are very few comics out at the moment that would handle depression and mental health and things like that quite as as in-depth as this one does. Um, it is very realistic, occasionally bordering on the too realistic. Mm. But um, overall, I enjoyed it. I think you should pick it up. You should read through it. If you get bored halfway, give up. Bloody, don't give up. Just give it a little break. Take a little, break. A little break. Go read something light. Um, yeah, because it's a slog. It's not It's not light reading. This is probably the heaviest one we've covered so far. It's literally the heaviest. Um, li- both literally grams. and metaphorically speaking yeah. in terms of theme. Buy it from a local comic book shop so you don't have to pay for shipping. Yes, which I eventually <laughs> did. Um, <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of this one? There's definitely a lot to it. You can get in touch with us as usual at Michael and Benjamin's podcast on Instagram. Yeah. There's Yeah. Um, you can get in touch with us there. Facebook page. We're on the Facebook page where you can collecting give us issues. all your thoughts and opinions, collecting issues. Um, Reddit, Ben. We'd love to hear from you in general. Just let us know what you thought of it um, all around. We'd be fascinated uh, on your opinions on Tom King in general. My friend Tom King. Uh, not your friend Tom King. Although, if you want to give us opinions of Mike's friend Tom King, go ahead. Be aware, um, though, he's very good at jujitsu. He's very good at jujitsu. Make it a nice opinion. Um, more importantly, guys, we will be back here in two weeks. We'll two be weeks taking time. a look at Bloodshot Reborn, the Valiant Comics. Yes. Valiant Comics. The Valiant Comics Collection, collecting issues one to six, volume one. Uh, Colorado I think it's 1 to 6 it might not be might be 1 to 5 also on a personal level I have a question to ask Um, if you know any good ways of making show notes uh, for a podcast could you please let me know I am really stuck hello welcome to amateur podcasting hour yeah well screw it Um, I trust the listeners the listeners might help us out that's all from us for this week we hope you enjoyed our discussion of Mr. Miracle 1 to 12 by Tom King not your friend Tom King and Mitch Garatz bye I can't escape from the tiny room, John Bianchi. Dot com.